All right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Bell Curve. Before we jump in, quick disclaimer, the views expressed by my co-host today are their personal views and they do not represent the views of any organization with which the co-hosts are associated with. Uh, nothing in the episode is construed or relied upon as financial, technical, tax, legal, or other advice. You know the deal. Now let's jump into the episode. This episode is brought to you by Valora. Valora is the easiest way to send, swap, collect, and grow your crypto on the Celo blockchain. Download the app and start exploring dApps like Bedali today at valoraapp.com forward slash empire. All right, everyone. Welcome back to another roundup edition of Bell Crab. You got Michael's one and two, Vance, Yano. Alice, welcome. Good to be here. Yano. So I, I, I forgot to say, I think the uh, the biggest news of the, the week just dropped like about 30 minutes ago. Uh, the Warriors are getting Chris Paul. Really? Yeah. Well, no, for for Jordan Poole. Wow. This is this is the part of the conversation where Mike taps out. I uh, I, I did I'll pretend to know what that I, 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 did, I did hear last week. I, I actually listened to you guys. Did hear that you guys were having a debate about Mike versus my athleticism. And uh I got I'll better hand eye than you. I'm just gonna say it. I got better hand eye. I'll just I'll just say it's not even out. Ask Mike how closely he follows sports. <laughs> not <laughs> for you, Mike. I got some photos of Yana playing with ball at the charity tournament. Right, where uh, don't don't make don't make me air those things. You're not. <laughs> Actually, that's a total bluff. Neither one of us played. Neither one of us could play. <laughs> Bunch of two sub thirty year olds with blown out backs. Yeah, yeah. You hate yeah. to see it. Couldn't even step to the wiffle ball. Playoffs. I actually, I actually saved one home run, but tumbled backwards and he's <laughs> looking bad out there. <laughs> I signed up for like three months of PT after catching that thing. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, we're playing like these like blue collar like fifty year old guys who just they look like they everyone. I think we were the only one that didn't have like matching matching outfits for that for that thing. If you it was taking, yeah, it taking it too seriously, anyway. Taking it too seriously, yeah. yeah. Um, all right, why don't we just launch right into the news of the week? I think the the big headline is obviously the ETFs. So this actually happened at the tail end of last week, but BlackRock announced that they were filing for an ETF. BlackRock is the largest asset manager in the world. They've got $9 trillion in assets under management, and their record for getting ETFs approved is 575 approved to one not approved so pretty good post blackrock there's just been a slew of uh other etf issuers that have filed so at bitwise reignite their their etf application same with invesco same with wisdom tree so pretty big week and prices have responded so bitcoin sort of leading the charge uh, it's been a very good week for bitcoin and the rest of crypto so what do you guys saying i know it's been talked about a little bit but what are your guys takes on this I think, I think initial take is just like sentiment flips on a dime. Like people can't even remember how they felt two or three weeks ago. And you have like CMS intern memes, you have fractals to 180, 200K for Bitcoin. You know, people are like expecting this to get approved next week. So it just shows like how fickle sentiment is. And to me, you know, bear markets are when price doesn't go up on, you know, good news. And this is like very much price going up on good news. And it's kind of like a solution to a lot of the existential consideration, the asset class in terms of like, are we ever going to be led into like the kingdom of TradFi? And I think, you know, 
November, December, January, it was like probably not slash never. Um, and now it looks like, you know, there's going to be, there's EDX, the Citadel exchange, there's, um, the Soros fund coming out and saying crypto has a place. Jerome Powell says crypto is not going anywhere. You have the spot ETF, which is like, you know, looking like it gets considered. Um, and it's not just Bitcoin. Like there's going to be a plurality of these things. Like if, if Bitcoin gets considered and approved, you know, ETH is probably next after that. And so, yeah, it's good to see. Um, and all of a sudden, like, you know, you look at the chart. The previous all-time high of Bitcoin was like I think sixty-nine thousand, and we're at we're at thirty. Once you kind of get to like fifty percent of the drawdown erased, people start thinking, you know, all-time high. That's just we're how we are. Yeah, people start thinking we're close. I mean, you could see it in this in the social sentiment. There are these like different tools that track social sentiment. Six million people tweeted Bitcoin ETF. Six right. million people tweeted Bitcoin ETF last week. Um, and it, yeah. like, it's always like the cold star problem because things like Bitcoin and ETH are more likely to be successful the higher the price is, which is the opposite of every other tech company. You know, if like, if it was up 10x, it's more likely to go down than it up at that point. Like something is wrong. The business fundamentals don't justify that. But like things like digital gold or things that are reflexive like ETH, if you can get the cold start solved and you get people talking and the flywheel started, um, you know, if, if people, if, if Bitcoin goes over 40 K people are like thinking like next six to nine months, like all time high, that, that kind of feels like where we're going to go at some point. So my, my hundred percent agree with all that. Um, I think the other take here, the additional take here is like, let's think about this in the context of the timeline where you've got over the last few weeks, over the last few months, just terrible sentiment from regulators as to wanting to blow this industry up, you know, drive it into the ground, you know, it's never going to be legal in the United States. Then you've got the largest partners uh, of asset managers and uh, largest asset managers in the space, Invesco, WisdomTree, and, and BlackRock, um, and Fidelity, Citadel, Charles Schwab, all coming out with positive sentiment, positive news, a desire to move in that direction. And I think that it kind of turns it around instead of, you know, when we were talking about this last summer, we, we were all thinking, okay, when's going to be the, the Jay Powell pit put? I think now we're talking about the GG put. When you've got all this stuff ha happening in parallel, when you've got these massive asset managers coming through and saying, hey, we're actually going to step out and support this, you, you kind of assume that it has been de-risked from a regulatory perspective, from a reputational perspective, from a business perspective. For these, and and this is maybe you know one read of why these black rocks of the world are putting out the ETF. There may be other reads. Maybe this is just a straw man, or maybe this is just a signal. Um, I, I don't necessarily buy into that. Um, I think those are a little bit more contrived perspectives. But if we think about this also in the timeline of what's happening in 2024, you know there is positive sentiment with what has what we know is coming in, in probably March of, you know, the happening of Bitcoin and the timeline for these ETFs potentially getting approved is 240 days, which is, I think, in February or March of 2024. Like there, there is just sort of a, a new a new narrative. Obviously, all of that coincides with one of the most negative sentiment periods of time I've seen in crypto in the last seven years. And there was a massive amount of short interest happening while that negative sentiment was happening. It was one of the most low volatility periods that we've seen. <clears throat> um, and I, I think a lot of the move up was definitely a short squeeze, but then it was also driven by positive narrative. What happens going forward? Who who knows? 
But I do think we're going to see a lot more positive movements and it's really going to come down to a regulatory fight. And, you know, is it going to be the market structure bill or the draft bill, which is now like, I, I think that was actually one of the biggest things that came out over the last couple of days. There will be a vote on that on July 19th out of committee. And that that is a huge step forward. That'll be the first time that we have a regulatory bill that's pro crypto or at least supportive of crypto going up for a vote. So it, it's it's all of these news stories coinciding in a backdrop of the most negative sentiment period of time from a regulatory perspective. So I, I think that's my quick and dirty. Yeah. Can we just remember that just last week we were talking about whether or not this was a worse cycle in terms of sentiment than 2019? Right. That was, exactly. that was that was one week ago that that was a legitimate question that was getting floated around Twitter. Now look where we all are. Yeah. What do you think that BlackRock... So this comes on the back of two interesting things, right? The SEC is currently in a lawsuit with Grayscale over Grayscale's Bitcoin ETF. And also, the SEC is currently suing Coinbase. BlackRock is filing a spot Bitcoin ETF using Coinbase custody on the back end, yep. right? So like, what do you think that BlackRock knows here that the rest of us don't know is it just that they know i mean yeah what do do you think about that i don't i i think like there's two schools of thought one is is like this is a line manager on the etf product suite that just like threw this in and is like hoping to maybe get in front of other people you know get in position if grayscale wins um just like wants to be considered the other school of thought is like this is coming down from on high from Larry Fink, you know, directly. And he's like gigabrain, 60 chess, trying to like do, you know, all sorts of things within the democratic political machine. He thinks that Coinbase is, you know, something that he'll use long term. Like I've seen all these conspiracy theories. It's probably somewhere in the middle. Um, I'm, surpri- I'm surprised none of the four of us showed up with the tinfoil hat on, right? Like you got the. I would have done that. I just didn't have. You don't like the. Uh, you don't like the take. Like this is the the entire past year was a giant inside job coordinated by by Wall Street parasites and and government regulators so they could catch up to to the old Bitcoin. I feel like that's like just table stakes. I don't even feel like that's a conspiracy <laughs> theory. Um, it's also like kind of too obvious, maybe for me. Like like double agent conspiracy theory. Like conspiracy theory to the conspiracy theory. I I don't know if if. Uh, there's really like any inside track here. I think it's more of a forcing function of like, this is going to happen eventually. And I think now what's going to weigh on market sentiment is like, I don't think this is, maybe this gets approved in the next 45 days. That's what this guy, Eric Falchunas from Bloomberg yeah, seems to believe. Yeah. And he's like way more knowledgeable about ETFs than I am. I also think there's an, uh, like a, a high likelihood that Gary Gensler drags this out till, till February. Right. Yeah. So like between now and February, what are we all thinking? It's probably somewhere between the sentiment that we had before and the sentiment that we had now. I I think also just to address the conspiracy theory stuff, because many people are, oh, well, right after the SEC enforcement action, you know, all of these TradFi things. First of all, we'll talk about the exchange as well. But, you know, that NDX, ex- er, what is the name of that exchange? ED- EDX. That was, EDX. That was announced a long time ago. So all yeah, of this stuff has been in the work. The way these institutions work isn't to you know, do a snap decision here and, hey, let's roll an exchange out because, you know, Bitcoin is down. That's just, these things take a much longer period of time. The the other thing is, I, I just, look, I love a good conspiracy theory. I'll wear that Noah t- t-shirt thing. But <laughs> I think the simplest Occam's razor explanation to this is just that we were, we were morons for the last two years. I mean, it's much simpler explanation for me to think that 
the institutions saw that there was something here, they wanted to get their piece of it. They weren't going to decide to participate when we were being full stream morons. This feels like a good opportune time. I don't even think you have to be a conspiracy theorist to believe this. This is just good business strategy from their standpoint. All these guys love a bargain, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I yeah. feel like how many of them been hurt just like by buying things that were zeitgeisty. And, you know, like AI is like fully bright. Like, I don't know what, I don't know yeah. what we're going to do with that. But like, if you do anything now, you're probably going to buy close to or at the actual top. Crypto is beaten down, but it's not going anywhere. Bitcoin, even at these prices, is like a $600 billion asset, $500 billion asset. Like, people think like the Bitcoin has failed as an experiment, but it's like the biggest alternative store of value that exists. This is going to be something that's important. I think they recognize that. I don't know if there's any like imminent approval coming, but you know, like I said, like you know, if you have a few wins on the on the legal slash litigation side, which Coinbase seems to have, you have a tactical narrative of like you know, um, TradFi is starting to get behind this. This is kind of um, like what happened in the last bear market, honestly. It, but like you know sub out some of that for like michael saylor starting to buy bitcoin and telling everyone it's legitimate um tesla tesla you know all that stuff and one of the things that i find super interesting about power cycles is that if you ask somebody to remember or to recall to you what exactly happened and when it happened they would have no idea what what actually happened it was just too much euphoria too much craziness like they wouldn't be able to tell you the order in which the assets went up but like bitcoin every cycle leads you know, like I'm just looking at this chart, right? So, so this is the BTC dominance chart. Let me just throw out a couple numbers to just to illustrate this. So, December 2020, you know, crypto has bro or Bitcoin has broken through its all-time high. It's at 34,000 by the end of December. ETH BTC is at 0.026. Didn't, didn't basically move. Bitcoin ripped first. And then you have, you know, from March 2021 to about May, you have that ratio effectively quadruple. And so, like, you know, you kind of need to get the simping for Bitcoin out of the way early. Um, and it, like, it's a very digestible asset. It's a very simple narrative. It's very easy. But it's kind of the gateway drug to all these different things. You have know, all these different assets in crypto. And I think that's kind of what I'm framing this in my mind as is like, okay, this is probably the start. You know, if you see this big Bitcoin dominance move up, this is probably the start. I I would ag I would agree with that, Vance. And what I think it's you could even look at um yeah, I think there's two there's two ways that I think about Bitcoin dominance, which is there's sort of a secular trend, and then there's a more cyclical trend that could be kind of useful to you. The secular trend of Bitcoin dominance is down, you know, over a period. Let me zoom out a little bit more. If you go further back, right, and before 2017, right. it was, you know, about 95% dominance. And it's, you know, if this was a stock chart, right, it looks like it kind of bounces here, and now it's going to bounce again, but it's going to make lower highs. And I expect that to continue to be the case because a lot of the innovation of value that's getting created in crypto isn't just concentrated in Bitcoin anymore. I think that's a pretty healthy thing. But cyclically, I think you can, you, you know, Bitcoin dominance tends to bottom at the absolute peak, right, of market euphoria. This is January of 2018. And then it's kind of the first thing to catch a bid as well on the other side. So this might be the beginning of that process. So I basically would just agree with you. And then 
you know, you can tell here Bitcoin dominance peaked in December of 2020, and then it was basically down only when everyone rotated into ETH and alts and those sorts of things. Yeah, I, I think it's a really healthy indicator that shows that money and interest are flooding into the space because I, I don't think you're going to, I agree with what Van said, like, I don't think you can have a bull run um, until until this Bitcoin dominance starts to rise a little bit because at the end of the day, like Bitcoin's not really getting moved from retail buying right now. It's getting moved from institutional buying, I would, I would assume. Um, and I think this shows that like there's the first real spark of institutional interest back in crypto and, you know, probably a year and a half here. So one of the questions we were discussing <clears throat> earlier today is what does an e a spot ETF, uh, let's say BlackRock ends up winning it, BlackRock gets to distribute it to all of its financial advisors who are selling it into the sales force of BlackRock. Like what does that actually do to Bitcoin? The marginal buyer, you know, there's some analysis that we've seen where it says if for every dollar that you put in it has a 15 to 20 X dollar uh, multiplier in terms of the market cap, like where do you think, do you think that there's enough net interest right now from ETF purchasers to, to really drive a new narrative? Not from ETF purchasers. I, I think I'm just scarred by that, that specific narrative of like, you know, the institutions are coming, they're buying, they're like putting Bitcoin on their private platform and their, in their private wealth management platform. They're all going to buy because now for the first time ever, they have the ability to buy directly from the JP Morgan private bank platform. I think that narrative it's probably why I'm going to miss the next Web3 social alert, probably, because I'm so scarred by that narrative. Um, I, I would push back on that. I view, I view those as different things. There's sort of the, you know, corporate blockchain, not Bitcoin arguments. But I've, I've always thought it'd be super bullish if you could just buy Bitcoin directly from your, you know, Fidelity brokerage, which you can now. Well, you can do it. I think, yeah. I just think once that, like an ETF would, first of all, it would give a a real seal of legitimacy. You know, a lot of the conversations about, is this going to be legal? Is it not going to be legal? So there's the actual flow sort of component in terms of how much demand is it going to drive? But then there's the credibility argument. I think they're both, I think they're both powerful. Here's a, here's a, maybe it's, I don't know what you guys think of this take, but I, I think that maybe the SEC thinks that they just can't win the, the grayscale case and they're going to roll over on Bitcoin while still trying to kill the rest of like protocols and like the long tail of, of crypto assets. So maybe they roll over on Bitcoin, but keep trying to attack, you know. Give the industry a win? Yeah, I mean, like... Make them look reasonable. I think maybe the SEC realizes that they went a little too far. Um, and that seems to be the sentiment in DC, is that, uh, that Gensler extended his hand too much. So, like, maybe this is them pulling back a little bit. But... I don't. I have no idea. Unfortunately, I don't think crypto. Unfortunately for them, I don't think crypto works that way, right? If you did this with stocks, if you said that, you know, Tesla is the only legitimate EV automaker sanctioned by the government, all the other EVs would would tank. Um, all the EV companies would tank. If you do that with crypto, if you say that Bitcoin is legit, we're going to give it a spot ETF. What's everybody going to do? They're going to buy alts. Like that, that it's a global game. There's exchanges that are outside the reach of the U.S. Like that's just kind of how it works. So um, maybe they try that. I'm not sure how effective it would be. I, I have, I have <laughs> and, and there and therein lies the GG put. Yeah. the The other thought. This is where I really wish I had a tinfoil hat. But the, I find this argument from the maxis super frustrating because they're the the tagline kind of is that everything else is a security except for Bitcoin. But at the same time, the maxis believe that the US is this like top down sort of scam, you know, about funneling money up to the top. So 
you know, if you had to if you had to pick one crypto which was the most directly against the interests of the United States government, you'd have to pick Bitcoin, right? I mean, it's the other ones aren't necessarily explicitly trying to be money, and the other ones that the tagline isn't down with the U.S. dollar. I, I, right, but but the the one thing that you could say though, like you're you're con- confusing securities regulations with like money and OCC regulations and CFTC and commodity regulations, like those aren't all intertwined. Like the government cabal coming together to say like that's the thing that we need to go kill. I think you you can use individual perspectives as perspective on how to change things, regulate things, control things. But I, like the SEC isn't really going to win an argument and, you know, has already come out and said, I don't think Gary Gensler has actually said this yet, but other, other members of the SEC have said that Bitcoin is not a security. So like the cat's already out of the bag, but no, I don't think you can run that back. I, I get that. But that's why I, I wanted my, my tinfoil hat on for this particular part, because <laughs> I just I, I know that it's not like one big cabal and everyone's not, you know, on the phone, you know, being like, let's kill Bitcoin. But I do think countries in general respond to national interests and you know if bitcoin were to be successful as the explicit stated intention is that's not within u.s interests and i think it's a convoluted argument to say that it that it is so i i think the most interesting thing about the etf is like does it drive additional flows and i think it will but it won't in the way that people imagine it i think the narrative of it being approved by blackrock and brought into the regulatory fold is a narrative that drives flows but like we've had Beto for, you know, two years at this point. Um, you know, this is not like a new phenomenon. You can go buy GBTC in your uh, 401k retirement account if you want. Like there's a lot of ways to access this. And the other stuff is that Coinbase has been onboarding a lot of like the biggest hedge funds, biggest asset managers in the, on the world. And like they are some of the primary um, users of this stuff. And like I get that there's an angle of like, you know, if you want to short it, like you can't really do that on Coinbase if you're like really like a upsize asset manager. Also, like I've heard that these asset managers want to use it for leverage and do different things with it that are only kind of available within like the prototypical broker dealer custodian model. So I think there's some, but we've already had this for a long time. So I don't think it's like turning on the floodgates. Uh, to the counter, the counter argument there would be you can go buy GBTC or Beto. Beto has an expense ratio that's underperformed Bitcoin. GBTC is at like a 32, 33% discount. And it requires you, both of those require you to be, or the GBTC requires you to be an accredited investor. I mean, the the most, the largest asset holders in the US as a population right now are the boomers, the baby boomers. And they're, you know, have no access effectively if you're in a retirement account to be able, like 401ks, you, you can't unless you're on Fidelity. Um, Fidelity Digital Assets allows you to buy Bitcoin and ETH right now. But if you have a 401k, you can't get access to Bitcoin, frankly. So the, the, there is an argument that there is a net new buyer. I, I agree, though, that I don't think that it's going to be as pronounced as the expectation of everybody with this potential application getting approved is expecting. I, I think that there will be net new, but it's going to be more of the the benefit will be realized in the institutionalization of Bitcoin less in the actual flows. Alex, Alex Weiss also had a tweet where he marked all of the ETF approval and denial dates. And, uh, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty clear, like the market topped on the approval uh, and the denials. 
Um, and I think it's kind of interesting that the last cycle ended with uh, the Bito uh, ETF was approved, I think, December 10th, 2021. 2020, yeah, 2021. This cycle, we'll start with it. Just like the, a lot different. Do you remember, Vance, you remember in, I think it was March of 2017, uh, when the Winklevoss twins had their application denied. And that's what kicked off all of the excitement around ETH and frankly, ICO summer. Like the, the, the denials and the approvals are major catalysts mm. up and down. This episode is brought to you by Valora. Valora is the ultimate wallet for exploring the Celo ecosystem. Easily access over 50 different crypto assets and over 30 dApps for sending, swapping, and growing your crypto, all from your mobile phone. If you want to see real-world use cases for crypto, Valora's dApps page is the easiest way to access a growing list of the latest refi and DeFi applications. Discover new dApps like Bidali. Bidali is a digital marketplace connecting thousands of popular brands with shoppers all around the world as a safe and cost-effective way to purchase gift cards and mobile top-ups, all with crypto. Browse Bidali on Valora's dApps page to access a variety of real-world goods and services while getting exclusive rewards. It's that simple on Bidali. Download the app and start exploring today at valoraapp.com forward slash empire. Let me ask you guys about uh, about ED- EDX markets. So EDX is um, this, this exchange that uh, Citadel, Fidelity, Virtu, Charles Schwab, Sequoia, and interestingly enough, uh, Paradigm are, are behind. Um, so they announced it back in, I think it was September of 2022, but it just went live this past week. So that's why it was in the news again. Uh, the, the only four tokens that are trading on it are, I think it's Litecoin, Bitcoin Cash, Bitcoin, and ETH. Who's who's trading on this, do you think? And and would any crypto native funds, like would you guys ever trade on this or there's no reason for you to trade on it? Before before we talk about this, I just want to say that if you knew that there was a Bitcoin ETF news coming uh, and you bought Bitcoin, you would still underperform Bitcoin Cash. So like that's the extent to which all this stuff is correlated and especially alts that are like a liquid and move a lot. You know, it's like it's not necessarily like a buy Bitcoin if Bitcoin ETF gets approved. But on the on the EDX stuff, like we've heard this is Citadel is basically, you know, main play for crypto. Um, you know, they've stopped doing a lot of like the OTC stuff. Um, but you know, it's like run by a guy who was very prominent in the organization. Um, it's clearly kind of like this it's like a very kind of like uh, overcomplicated version of what you could do with crypto, but like they've separated the custodian from the clearing, from the trading. Like it's great, but like it doesn't make a ton of sense within the context of crypto just being a more efficient version of all of that. I don't think we would ever trade there. I mean, we, we have ETH, we have Bitcoin, Litecoin, BCH. I don't know why we would do that, but I expect this to take a lot of share away from uh, you know, places like Coinbase, frankly, and Binance, like all of the color that we have from the people that we trade with and work with are that they've largely, if they're still in the US, moved to the CME. And you can see that in the CME volumes, they've yeah. ramped over the first like six months. Like that really is becoming like a center of flow where it historically has not been. Um, so yeah, I think, I think the next cycle broadly will kind of be like a regulatory cycle. I have a question. I might be misunderstanding this, but I thought that EDX was going to partner with brokerages. You know, you wouldn't go and trade at EDX. It's a it's an actual exchange. 
Yeah, yeah, I may be wrong on that. Change. It yeah. funnel they funnel trades through through to different brokerages. I think. I mean, similar to you know, you're not you're not going on the New York Stock Exchange and making right. Money, yeah. Right? Exactly. Well, it's also I I believe I I think I read this. It's API only. Like, there's no interface. It's just an exchange to trade. Um, and institutional only in that respect. Yeah, I think they're launching a clearinghouse to settle trades, but not not yet. Um, but I think the key here is that like if you look at all the crypto exchanges today. There's this kind of like, they're a hodgepodge of like custody and settlement and like they have the exchange and like they are the broker as well, kind of, but like that model doesn't even really fully make sense if you apply it to crypto. This is like, we are going to take the traditional model of separating custody, settlement and exchange and then apply it to crypto trading, which, which doesn't really exist. So what would, be, would would you say the comp here is more like NASDAQ, New York Stock Exchange versus like this, the monolith that you would have with Coinbase Binance? Is that a fair assumption? That is the yeah, understanding. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep. That's what I thought too. So, so like people joke about like the cabal in crypto or like the car- the cartel, um, you know, there's like a room where everyone's fates are decided and where like the market direction is chosen. Um, I don't think that exists, honestly, in crypto. I don't think it really exists in TradFi, but like. Someone who was in the cabal would say that cabal. that would be something that I, that that I would say. <laughs> um, all the TradFi guys kind of travel in the same circles. We've noticed over time, <clears throat> and there's like you know, like if you can just turn on crypto trading by going to the Citadel branded, run licensed exchange, versus like getting IC approval to get on the Coinbase and do all of that stuff. Like it's just going to make <laughs> it easier for them to pump on board. And like, you know, I think that's what most of the TradFi people within crypto are talking about at this point. It's like, are you going to go trade on CME or are you going to wait for EDX to get up and running for real? Because it's just like, it's another API within the same regulatory framework and technology stack that, you know, this is, this is the interesting part. It's the same technology stack that Sitsec, Citadel Securities works with. So, you know, if you're already trading on the largest market maker in the world, you can trade on EDX. So I think that the... Just as an anecdotal uh, piece of info, one of our one of our investors um, back in the day when we were talking with them about you know DeFi and like you know using things on chain and trying to get all this, up, they're a very traditional registered investment advisor, and they were telling us it took them I, I think like six months approval just to be able to stand up a separate like AirGap computer not doesn't have any of the software running on it, and that was like their DeFi computer and it had to stay in the office. They had to have monitoring on where the ledger was like. The controls that maybe just like, unless you're in that position in that institution, the controls that are associated with RIAs and financial advisors and, you know, all the stuff that comes with that are so strong that nobody's willing to even like go there. If you have to be able to promote this idea, like step outside the bounds and try something new. I think it's, it's under, it's underappreciated how hard that is. Yep. It's just one thing that's sort of funny to me is that Litecoin and Bitcoin Cash are included there. That's that's just a funny selection of assets. I mean, it's no coincidence that those are the same poor assets that Gary Gensler in that one speech said are not securities. Except for Bitcoin Cash. Well, maybe he did say that one. I, I forget, but I don't know because even you know, Jason and I have gone into Bloomberg a couple times and if you like if you just open up a Bloomberg terminal, look at the crypto products that they cover. It's like Bitcoin and ETH, and then it's like every ICO shitcoin from 2017. It's like Ripple, Stellar, Bitcoin Cash, Litecoin. They're all up there. I think lost within this also is like the fact that ETH 
is in there. Like, like ETH is, it's been said it's not a security by the CFTC. It feels like it's in, it's in like the, the process of being blessed by the TradFi community. But like having it on these places is extremely bullish in my mind. Yeah. I was going to say that I don't think it, I don't think in this era of the SEC, we're going to be able to see them bless it as not a security. It's going to have to live in this, in this phase of purgatory. Mostly because if they say that it's not a security, what that does is it gives credence to the Hidman documents, and it basically gives a playbook for anybody else who says, hey, we just followed the playbook of Ethereum. You've already said that Ethereum isn't a security because it's become sufficiently decentralized. And if you run that playbook, you can make it such that you believe that you're sufficiently decentralized without, all of this is to get at, without new legislation, frankly, what's at least been discussed in the draft market structure bill where you have definitions around all of this stuff, we're just going to continue to live in a, in a world of purgatory. Yeah. Well, I guess we'll have to see how the regulatory stuff plays out over the next couple of years. Well, I would love to maybe talk a little bit about ETH scriptions. I know you guys were excited on this. Can we just, there's, there's one other like institutional news thing that nobody really talked about this week, which was actually SAP. Um, which like seemed boring, but I, I don't know if you guys read this blog post. Um, so a- SAP powers a lot of like Fortune 1000s. They're kind of like the underlying infrastructure for how a lot of Fortune 500s and Fortune 1000s like collect payments and do their billing and accounting and all that stuff. They put out a blog post today. It's uh, a couple of days ago. It says today cross-border payments are a hassle for small and mid-sized enterprises with international business partners. Expensive, up to 50 bucks a transaction. Slow, up to seven days to transmit the money and non-transparent. You never know the status of the transaction. These major challenges can get solved with digital money as a means of settlement and blockchain is the underlying technology. And what they announced a couple of days ago is that uh, the t- uh, is that SAP is now t- uh, testing cross-border payments for all of their customers uh, using USDC. And I think this is a narrative that is completely dead. Like the payments narrative is completely dead. Um, but I actually had breakfast with someone yesterday who's they're working on they're working on the same thing, but for consumers. Like they're they're all they're really good crypto founder, been building for several years. They are working entirely on this payments solution, um, and I think this could be a narrative that, like stable coins in the real world economy, um, this could be a narrative that comes back that like nobody's talking about. Um, and I think like reading that SAP blog post, you can really quickly imagine a world where like millions of businesses. I mean, it already happens in crypto. Like we accept USDT. Uh, where millions of businesses all around the world can setter, settle like this intercompany trade instantaneously using USDC and other stable coins. And so like, I'm getting a little echo by the way, but yeah, I'm, uh, I don't know. I'm pretty excited actually. We're like this renewed interest in payments. I'm curious what you guys think. Jay Powell yesterday in front of Congress said that we should consider stable coins to be a form of money and was one of the one of the comments that he made yesterday, which I thought was pretty profound. I, I think we're going to start to see cross border. Um, frankly, as we see um, efficiencies gained on, and we've talked about this before, but native minting of USDC, I think provides a really strong use case for bringing USDC over onto a layer two, onto an execution environment where it's just that much cheaper to transact. I saw sending a token or sending ETH on most of these L2s was getting close to that one cent uh, cost basis. And you assume a couple more uh, iterations and a couple more improvements and and you're sending 
in unlimited amounts of value for less than a cent over a layer two. Um, if you have that with with native minting, you then have the security guarantees of USDC and and the cost reduction uh, that make payments viable. I think when you break down what payments really are, uh, it really comes down to just their cost per execution. Person-to-person payments and uh, is going to be probably the hardest. In-person payments, so point-of-sale transactions, is is sort of the next hardest. You're used to having to pay a fee in those types of situations, which is just assumed by the merchant. Cross-border payments, that fee goes up in some cases to be you know percentages, uh, if not like 10% of the total value. Um, and so you just start to tick those things off and break down, okay, in the payments ecosystem, what's going to be the most viable right now? Cross-border. Then it comes down to it's not it's not really a cost structure there. It's about availability. So how do you get USDC or any of the local currencies to accept that as a form of, of cross-border payment? Um, I, I think it'll be still a long ways before you get point-of-sale transactions to, to support USDC, mostly because people are just obsessed and kind of addicted to their the points that they get from credit cards. Um, but I, I think payments is always going to be a viable option. It really, you know, frankly, just comes down to cost. And that's that's kind of what drives adoption payments. I'm not super bullish on it in the short to medium term. I just think there's this guy gave framework a little while ago that really resonated, which was just if you have a product and you can make something like a service or product order of magnitude better, but you have to add one step, good luck, you're toast. And as opposed to if you have a product that's just as good, but you get to remove a step, then that's you know a gigantic business right there and i just think even like if you magically transport into a world where everyone is already on blockchain rails no one would ever use the system that we have in tradfi it sucks but because we don't have that what you're asking is tons of individual merchants and business businesses to uh understand how to use this stuff and retrain and do new systems so i just think it's so just to be clear, though, Mike, I, I, like the, everybody thinks of payments as being like Venmo transactions and using your Apple Pay or credit card at a point of sale. Like orders of magnitude, more value are transferred cross border every single day in, in business to business transactions. Um, I didn't see the SAP announcement, but like we're talking tens to hundreds of more value is is in the payments realm in that area of the world. Um, where like cross-border FX and you know reliability of actually receiving the money that you get. If you send a, a wire transfer and it has more than two stops, so three or four different FX conversions, there's like a 95% chance that your money actually shows up on the other end. So like if you want to send value to, to Nigeria, for instance, it's got to go through euros, it's got to go through you know to the local currency and then to the bank account that you're trying to send it to. Um, the reliability there is actually like still extremely small. Um, so specifically what I'm referring to is cross-border and and potentially with FX involved. What's like an example of a like a cross-border payment for that? Because you still need to, to like if you're going between currencies, you're still basically FX trading. You're going like euro to USDC to dollar. Because right, like no one in, you know, in like the real world, I use USDC, but it's for crypto stuff. Usually like if you want to do crypto things and buy crypto stuff, then USDC is a more... Uh, there's more utility as a dollar, but in the real world, you know, you can't pay for anything at the store with USDC. So I, th- I think that's the point I'm trying to get at is there's still that three hop conversion of you, you know, currency to USDC to X, and then you need a different set of infrastructure to manage those transactions. So that's the yep. friction that that's the friction that I see in the short term. Yeah. 
Yeah, and you know the difference would be it's on a blockchain where you can check it versus like a correspondent bank where the money flows out and you're like, I hope this comes back on the other side. That is true. It, I mean, it, and it does suck. Like we, we had one small period of time where we had to, as Blockworks, make a bunch of international uh, cross-border payments, and I can tell you, it was horrendous, absolutely horrendous. It's literally the there money flows out. And five days later, you hope it ends up in where it's supposed to go. Yeah. Yeah. Nightmare. You think bridging your assets over to an L2 are bad? Yeah. <laughs> Try an international wire. Waiting um, 20 minutes versus mating four days. Yeah. Yeah. Baby steps, though. Like, this is cool. Like, one of the reasons this thing, the SAP is cool is like, I don't know. Remember when everyone was talking about private ledgers? Like, SAP is using public Ethereum for global trade with USDC. Like, it probably takes 10 times longer than we realize, but I don't know. Baby steps. I'm I'm there with Yano. I'm bullish. Let's go then. Let's go, baby. All right, should we talk inscriptions? Speaking of being bullish. <laughs> <laughs> tell me tell me your analyst ten year thesis on inscriptions. Well, at first let's do a description of it. Here's my here's my here's my I'm sure you guys understand it better than I do. Um, but basically, all right, so you have the EVM. The EVM processes user transactions and stores a bunch of data. There is like a different types of data, right? There's persistent contract data um, there, which is like the storage, right? There's temporary contract data, which is the memory. And then there's the transaction data, like transaction input data. And this is call data. Um, if you look at store, both storage and call data can be permanent, but call data is just, again, my understanding is like, it's a lot, la la lot cheaper to use. Um, and the reason for this is because smart contracts uh, can't read the call data unless it's, this is where my understanding breaks down, but unless it's the input to one of its own functions. Um, and I think that's kind of the basis for eScription. So eScriptions are basically just chunks of call data that store images or texts. Um, and so if you look at here, I can like, sometimes I'm a, it's helpful to see it. Like I'll pull up, I just found this one on etherscan. You can see this here. So like this is etherscan. And you can scroll down and this input data doesn't look like anything, but if you change it to this UTF view, you can see there's just an image here. So this is an ETH description. And voila. <laughs> it's like ordinals, but with better branding. Because ordinals, as you say, it sounds like ordinals. It is I think it I think it's basically ordinals. Like you hear the word or ordinals though and doesn't really mean anything. I I think the branding on ETH scriptions is really nice. It's an inscription on ETH. See it on Etherscan. There you go. I like it. God bless these kids who are just <laughs> using Ethereum for things it really was not intended to be used for, but are cool anyways. I like. I don't know if this is like a ten-year thesis or like you need to go out. I think there's like Ether punks now, right? Yeah, they sold out instantly. Ethereum punks, instant, iconic. <laughs> I mean, we, like. Is it a bit silly? Do we already have NFTs really need this? You know, yes, yes, potentially no. Um, but I think also it's like we're just continuing to bootstrap culture around ETH L1. Yeah, it's pretty I think uh I I think here's the thesis for ETH scriptions is that there's a lot of stuff happening in the NFT world where like people are realizing that maybe I'm gonna botch all of this, um, but like you know, if you look at Foundation or OpenSea or something like that, you re you realize that like a lot of it, a lot of NFT value and information is actually like stored more at the like 
yeah on zora i may I, I i don't have the details right but like on OpenSea and not at the protocol level but uh like etherscan is kind of the source of truth for the whole for all for all of eth right it's kind of like it, and it can be recreated you just using this decentralized eth data um so eth scriptions are like maybe more of a you know hard hard data as opposed to something that's like stored at the app level does that make sense? A hard date. I mean, also, what a beautiful business Etherscan is. N- never raised outside funding. I think they're based in Malaysia or something. Um, probably like wildly profitable, but it's just been the source of truth for as long as I've been in crypto. Same with Michael. Like, I, I was trying to read a Bitcoin block explorer to check out where the US government was sending the Bitcoin. I just was like, man, I cannot make heads or tails of this anymore. This makes no sense at all. Yeah. Have you ever met met them? Have you ever met uh who is it, Matthew? Who runs Never it? Never met him. You could imagine a, a coin market cap like exit for them in the next cycle. Coin Gecko is a great they have a great story I was as well. Say, Bobby. Yeah. yeah, Bobby, shout out. Yeah. What is the business model for the block explorers? How do they monetize? Ads. I think ads. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So if you go to it and you click exchange, like right now you click exchange and it's sponsored by yeah.io or play you get like meta win or coins.game and this is all an automated business so there's no, they don't have a sales team at least is my understanding they, they make money doing the l2s block explorers too right like bnb scan and op oh really oh yeah, and arba scan and there's that, like, i don't know how i think there's like a two-year wait list for like, getting them to do your blockchain too i don't know how recurring that yeah that's not yeah. not recurring but a little hefty hefty price tag what I've heard is accurate. Yeah, very very expensive. I think broadly, it's like when are we like or uh, ether descriptions aside, like when are we going to get the NFT people reactivated? I feel like of all all the crypto folks, they've just been destroyed. Eminem sold his uh, board ape today. It's June twenty second, twenty twenty three. Looking like there's like some outstanding loans on some board apes, like right around the floor price right now on Bendow. Eminem out bad. I know. You need to get these people reactivated. I don't know why uh, that's going to be, but like, I remember it was like 2019, 2020, there was really no activity on NFTs. And then 2021, it was all of a sudden like, punks are worth half a million dollars each. Like, do we think that's going to happen again? I was with a fund manager yesterday um, who has a lot of same similar perspectives as we do. And uh, one of the theses that he had was it might be the right time to start buying punks. <laughs> we were also talking with another uh, manager in the space and and they're, one of their like pretty strong theses and I think they've already been deploying into it is is buying NFTs. Like th- There's an element here where it gets so low and, and potentially attractive that it might become a good just investment category. What, buying NFTs again you're saying? Yeah. Can, can you guys buy NFTs in the fund? Yeah. We can. We haven't. Um, At what price would punks have to go to to buy some punks? It depends on how you have to underwrite it. And are you looking at it from like a individual asset class perspective? And is there some like value or utility from that specific NFT? Or are you looking at this basically as like a levered ETH play? No value, no utility punks specifically i said punks because there's no utility like there's no game that's being created around punks it's just a number go up and it's probably a leopard eth play 
I don't know if they're, I, I, I don't know if we could talk about what price we buy. Yeah, we can't talk about any of that, but I'm just looking at punks right now, it's 49. 49. E- yeah. So the total market cap is 491,000 ETH. And ETH is at 2,000, call it. So times 10, 4.9, times 10, 49. Like this is like what? 2 billion market cap, something like that? Let me do that math. Mm. Yeah, remember when you and I said, remember when you and I said we were definitely going to buy punks when they went down? Mike and I, top of the market, we're like, if we ever get into a deep bear market, we're definitely buying punks. Here we are. All right. If we ever get into another bear market. So punks has a $1 billion market cap aggregate. That's how I think about it. But there's no, there's no utility, right? There's no fees. There's no anything like that. So that's why they're valuable. I mean, do. It looked like utility was trouncing the this is digital art for a little while, but I don't know. I kind of think it's it maybe isn't one size fits all. The second you add utility, people start trying to make an equation out of it where you have the utility on one side. Is it greater than or less than the the price? I mean, (laughs) you got to be a pure revenue, pure play, pre revenue, pure play. (laughs) The crazy part about punk (laughs) that like number up chart. No Excel, no Excel, no, no revenue. Yeah, yeah. The, the crazy part about punks is that like blur kind of like farmed the farmers in many ways where someone on March 17th sold 800 punks into blur bidding liquidity at once. Like, I don't know it, when the market changes that dramatically in terms of volume and liquidity. I at least want to wait to like re-underwrite things. Could you explain what you mean by farm the farmers? Yeah. So all of these farmers were paid in blur points to basically bid NFTs. Um, meanwhile, the people who were selling NFTs were actually like the the biggest net beneficiaries. And like you have this like two-sided liquidity that has never happened before. And so like who are the winners? Probably the sellers of NFT, but also like the protocol that like got this artificial bid liquidity. And the losers were like the people who bought. So like, yeah. you know, uh, Big Brother, Machi, folks like that um, just kind of got torn up and lost a bunch of ETH in the process. The uh, I don't, Have you guys ever heard the, the D-Gen Spartan line on SushiSwap? No. Okay. Um, so he, he, you know, this was a, an Uncommon Core episode he did a while ago with Hasu, but... I did actually see he he made the comparison between Blend and Sushi, which was basically one of the reasons why DeFi uh, DeFi coins topped around the same time as Sushi Swap is the incentives were so strong on Sushi that they pulled so much liquidity to one place that if you held these kind of illiquid DeFi coins, you like your entire incentive there was to sell. And kind of a similar comparison can be made to Blur. Whereas you might think something is super bullish because you're pulling a bunch of liquidity to one venue. But if you're a long-term bag holder of these things, there's an attractive price. You're incentivizing everyone to dump at the same time. So that makes right. it. Your, your options to liquidate NFTs at scale are like you get this Sotheby's like sponsored grail type sale yeah. or you sell into Blur. I mean, may, maybe it is like a decent time to buy NFTs, but like, Calling them levered ETH feels very specious. That implies like it has both the fundamentals of ETH and then like this other thing. I don't. I don't know. Maybe we're just too too right and left curve simultaneously to be part of this new generation of 
of degens, but <laughs> wouldn't that put us mid curve? Yeah, I mean, I mean, right in the middle. We're close so far. Yeah, I mean, I, I I completely agree. The only other argument is that uh, depending on the tax situation, NFTs will probably take a more favorable regulatory perspective. What do you guys think? I know we're we're running short on time here, but did you see that BNB is using the OP stack to launch a layer two? It seems like the there's a like uh, it like Zora was another NFT marketplace that announced that they were launching using OP stack. It feels like there's some traction. That's at least just my sort of just looking at it perception and more and more protocols are using that. Do you guys, is that your perception as well? I got to be honest, I haven't really looked into the uh, Binance, like the BNB using OP stack, but it's, it seems like there's some critical mass that's gaining there. D- doesn't make sense to me to build an L2 on a centralized L1 with a permission validator set. You can literally have any scalability you want. Just like L2s are just probably a new opportunity to launch a token, frankly. And as we've talked about, the lowest effort thing that has the highest market cap return will get launched a lot until that, until there's so many of them that they're all worth nothing. Enter all of the Uniswap clones from 2021. Very well said. RIP. Um, aside from like, you know, the, the L2s on Binance and all that stuff or BNB, the thing I would like to see in this bear market, I would like to see CZ and, and Brian, you know, kind of bury the hatchet, come together. You know, like you're literally the two last men standing. I feel like there's been a lot of beef between those two. Obviously, very different regulatory approaches and probably viewpoints of the world as well. But like, we're going to have this like TradFi carving up of like Coinbase's business, I I feel like a little bit. Like, it would be good to see them get on the same page, you know, more so than they have been historically. Good luck with that. Me too. I'd like to do that. <laughs> we got we got to bring the tribes together. Even you know, even Bitcoin. Like we don't hold a lot of Bitcoin, but like respect the pump. As Ivan on Tech once said, you know, you got to respect the pump. You get you got to be there for the other folks. There's not many of us left. In general. As, as Ivan on Tech once said, <laughs> I used to watch those streams. It was so bizarre watching him turn into like a tech explainer to like a guy who pumps coins. But like I, that line that he said is just a classic, and it's true. One day we'll tell you about our influencer business that we created in the bottom of the bear market, but uh, leave, that, leave that for another time. <laughs> we don't have I would love to just never talk about that we, again. We should have the YouTube streamers. <laughs> it's a big growth business. Yeah, that was chaos. Anything else this week, guys? Um... What, no, submarine, no, no submarines for anybody soon, please. Yeah. Man, so you need to really bad for those people. At the People were like mocking the people in the submarine. That made no sense to me. Like, totally. Terrible. Terrible way to go. For people that are trapped at the bottom of the ocean. Like, you know. Well, it, sound, it sounds like it wasn't really trapped. It happened very fast, but crazy story, nonetheless. Yeah. No submarines for anybody. All right. It's a good way to end it. <laughs> <laughs> See you guys next week. <laughs>